We're live and back here on the uh, the Formula One Funcast, the F1 Funcast, your interactive experience for all levels and all types of Formula One fans. And as always, I'm joined by Connor Gagnon, the crew chief over there. Connor, how have you been? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I'm working on a new setup right now. I've got a new mic, so I'm hoping my audio is going to be a little bit clearer for the next for the next uh, generation of these episodes. Oh, crisp. Yeah, crispy, crisp. Oh, hope so. I hope so. I mean, my my dad really hooked me up with this microphone. I I couldn't thank him enough. Uh, he's been super supportive about this whole thing, and uh, him doing this means a lot. So I'm hoping that the audio comes through as elegantly as possible. Oh, you're elegant, baby. You're <laughs> elegant. It's uh, <laughs> um, but so we've uh. I feel like the things are starting to heat up around uh, Formula One a little bit in terms of um, teams kind of looking into their future, and, and you know maybe we're looking past 2023 a little bit. It seems like teams are starting to try to make decisions um, about where they're headed in the future, and um, you know we're going to get to that today. But first, first things first, we'll talk about the present right now and the yep. thing a lot of people are talking about. Um, online and around Formula One is the Red Bull dominance, and if it's a a turnoff to new American fans who were kind of into that 2021 season, and now we're going through a season that is a bit of a a runaway. And I'm just curious what you think about that. If if uh, the dominance is a turnoff, I think um, in general, I think it can be, um, especially for newer fans, because you know. I, I think it's still a very attractive sport, and it has a lot of uh, draw to it. But for newer fans that kind of they have the whole drive to the survive mantra of everything's drama filled, and it's just it's half faded away this season. There's not a whole lot of drama going on. Um, I mean, if you remove Max from the championship, like I think we've said before, I mean it's a pretty good championship. Um, everything is very tight. But, I mean, like you said, they're coming from watching 2021 and how crazy and intense that entire season was. I mean, from the green light in Bahrain all the way to the checkered flag in Abu Dhabi, it was nothing but back-and-forth action. Um, well, that's what that's what people say, is it was one of the greatest, you know, Formula One seasons in terms oh, of hands competitive. Down. Hands down it was. So, so it is tough to, to see something as as close as that, and then have you know kind of a. I wouldn't. Would you say this is this isn't normal either, though, right? This is kind of the extreme on the other end, in terms of Red Bull potentially winning every race. Would you say that's right, or is this? Yeah, this is very much uh, going in the opposite direction, and I think it's just Red Bull's just done a fantastic job with their car, and it's up to everybody else to try and catch up to them. Um, kind of like how Mercedes started their dominance. They were so far ahead, and over time, people reeled them in. But I think that Red Bull is going to be a little bit different. Um, I think that there's a lot of catching up to do, especially when you're still finishing nine seconds out in front, and you're basically on cruise control. It's true. It is true, and it, it, it's a long it's a long road. But here's, here's my kind of take on the situation is and I know this is this is a kind of a, a cross entertainment example but people people why do they watch something like 
professional wrestling, right? You've got the champion, and then all these guys trying to knock him off. And you know you're not going to beat Hulk Hogan this weekend, and you're probably not going to chase him down next weekend. But eventually, somebody is going to get a win against that. And I, I think there's something about the underdog in the chase that, that at least is keeping my attention. Like, who is the next team that's going to be able to knock off this kind of monstrous force? You know, you and I are Red Sox fans, and we kind of grew up in the, we were chasing the Yankees forever, you know, 86 years. Yep. And then when you, when you finally get it, it feels so good. But I think that's my take anyway, is that, you know, I think in, in, Americans love that, um, chasing the villain, chasing the bad guy, and then, you, of course, you have the people that root for the, the dominant forces, and, um, you, you know, again, and on the other side, we're, we're ah, people are going to hate this, but we're New England <laughs> Patriots fans, and uh, that's yeah. the other end of it, you know, so whenever, whenever we would get, you know, the team would be beaten in the Super Bowl, or, you know, you're chasing that villain, not that Red Bull's a villain, but they're the dominant force. I think there's something to be said to tune in to see, is this the weekend Aston Martin and Fernando Alonso finally finish, you know, in first place? But, I don't know, they, they could be losing people because the drama's not there, but I see, I see it almost like, um, you know, like anything, that chase is really part of the, part of it. But if you're not up for the chase and you want to root for your team to win every weekend, maybe, you know, it's tough watching, unless you're a Red Bull fan at this point, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's, there's still going to be enough back and forth, at least with everybody but Verstappen, um, unless he has a like an off unless he has like an off weekend or something goes wrong with his car, um, and it really opens the door for somebody else to win. Um, but I think you know, every weekend we kind of go in there is everybody that's not a Red Bull fan goes into a weekend going, oh man, come on, just like lose a gearbox. You know, uh, get a puncture on like one of the first laps or something. You know, something something simple that knocks Max down the order, but allows somebody else to maybe take the top step of the podium. Um, what, what what do you think it would take at this point to just flat out beat Max in that Red Bull? I don't know, man. I mean, he is he's so in sync with that machine, and obviously Adrian Newey and Red Bull have put together kind of a masterpiece for Max and it really suits his driving style and all they really have to do is iron out all the little kinks and wrinkles and it just keeps getting better and better and better better every week I mean that's the thing they just keep improving and he he really is something else I've started to study up on Max and his story a little bit and he really I mean it's like He's a machine, and I don't oh, yeah. talk about it all the time, but... Even from, like, the, the his younger years in, like, the junior categories, I mean, he skipped over F2. He went from F3 to Formula 1. But, That's right, and he was, he was pretty young, right? Oh, yeah. Like, I think he was... Ooh, I could get this wrong, but it's been a while, but I think he was, like, 16, maybe? Like, 15, 16, when he uh, drove for Toro Rosso for the first time? Unbelievable. I mean, that's, that's you know, <laughs> you put him, you put the best driver of the, you know, in the best vehicle, and that's it. Yeah. Well, he he won he won his first race in Spain in 2016, and he won a Formula One Grand Prix before he had his driver's license. Is that right? It is. Yeah, it's <laughs> unbelievable to think about that. Oh my gosh! So he couldn't drive down to the store to get some groceries to help his mom out, but he could win a Formula One race, and wow. That's that's a wow! I didn't know that. That's pretty the, the man's the man's machine, and you know I give 
I give so much respect to Verstappen because I mean he's kind of like that that guy that you you love to root against him, but you would always want to have him on your team. It's true. It's you know there's you can think of anyone across sports and those guys. It's true when they're on your team, you love them, and uh, yeah, and that's and it, it's a winning mentality. That's what it is. You have to have that tough edge and that little bit of I'm not going to back down from anybody, and um, he certainly. So then, how do you think Red Bull's feeling? Regarding his teammates' performance, which is really, you know, Sergio Perez has, has tailed off. I wouldn't say, like, terribly, but there was a moment where he was talking about World Drivers' Championship ideas, and now he's, he's well, kind of... it seems like as soon as he brought that up in, in Baku, like, as soon as he brought that up, everything just went wrong. He started missing, missing Q3. Um, he had mistakes in qualifying, mistakes in the race... Um, it would set him back down the order a little bit. He's always starting further down than Verstappen is. And, I mean, that certainly doesn't help when your teammate is your only competition. He's running away with a victory every time you make a slip. It's true, and it seems like Sergio is always kind of having a... feels like a rough weekend. He's, he's always kind of got himself in a corner and he's working he's, his way out of He's it. definitely in a slump right now, for sure. I mean... It's hard to argue against that. He's 100% in some kind of a funk. I don't know what it is, or if it's just he can't get to grips with this car on anything but a street circuit. But it's obviously not going in his favor. No, and it's it's sad to see because I think everybody kind of roots for Checo to do pretty well. And, oh yeah, but it's a it's a zero sum game, and you need the you need the results. And I don't know if you saw. This week, a little bit of attention was sprinkled on old friend Daniel Ricardo is I going did. to, I think, get. Th- so what is it? He's going to get three days of testing He's, in Silverstone. Yeah, I, I can't remember the exact, um, I guess, procedure that he's going to go through. I don't know if it's like a full-on test with current tires, or if he's testing. Uh, like next year's tires or something like that, but it's. I, I saw it was a, a new spec tire. Is it a new spec tire? Going. Yeah. It's, yeah. Is it going to be a um a current car? Or is it going to be an older car? No, I think, and, and don't quote me on this, but I thought they said it was going to be in this year's car. Ooh. So that's why it kind of stirred Ooh. up a lot. That could of be fun. that could be really interesting. I I actually I hope that it is, and I hope that he does well. Um, I don't know if they'll put him in a Red Bull seat. They might, I've heard them say, you know, they might throw him to like Alpha Tori or something like that and replace Nick DeVries um, just to get his feet wet again. But, I mean, if he shows good pace, I wouldn't be shocked that they make some kind of a move. Just a shake up on the, the roster because it does seem like um, patience is wearing a little bit thin with, with Sergio. And I know Daniel's been chomping at the bit to get. To get back, and um, you know he has a big presence where everywhere he goes, and he's going to have a big presence when he when he's doing those running those tests. And I, I know he's a he's a social media superstar, so people oh, yeah. really get. He's uh, a very likable guy. I mean, he's he's one of my favorite drivers on the grid, and I, I I honestly feel like it was like as soon as all these rumors started swirling about Ricardo um, becoming a test driver and working the simulators, and he was brought back on by Red Bull. Like, as soon as that happened, Checo's form changed. Like, it, it's almost like it got in his head a little bit. 
hearing footsteps. Yeah. yeah. Knowing that someone... And that's the nature of the beast, because it's so, um, it's so, you know, every weekend you're kind of racing, unless you're Max Verstappen, you're, you're kind of racing for your job. And, um, but that'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see if, uh, if Daniel, I'd like to see him get a seat, but do, so do you think he's a deserving, the most deserving, or is this the same as, you know? I mean, there's, there's always that argument, because it's, you would love, you love to see him get back into a seat, whether it be with Red Bull or a junior team, but there's always the other side of, he's had his time, why don't we give somebody else a chance? Why don't we have somebody else that's in the Red Bull ranks get promoted and brought up to that seat, whether it be Sonoda or somebody else? I don't know who else they would bring up. Um, but, you know, there's always that side of it, too. It's really tricky. It's a tricky balance if you're the team because if you're looking for performance versus, you know, recognition or how many years left of performance versus, you know, rolling the dice with someone younger or, you know, like you said, Yuki Sonoda, who's he's got a lot of pace and a lot of upside, but also could be costing you in some uh, in some repairs every weekend with his uh, style, like a little bottle rocket out there for AlphaTauri. But so Daniel Ricciardo is going to be testing the new tires or some new tire specs, and that kind of brings us to one of the big topics of the last couple of weeks. And it's it's been bubbling under the surface, but it seems to kind of be uh, more out in the open now is the potential for uh, Pirelli to lose their exclusive rights with Formula One and I think it's Bridgestone? Is that Bridgestone. what Bridgestone wants back Bridgestone, in? there has been mention of Goodyear, but I think Bridgestone is the only one that's been uh, very serious about it. And so what would that mean for uh, 2025 and beyond in terms of supposing they did you know, what's the upside or downside of, of changing tire manufacturers generally in Formula One? Um, it's It just kind of brings a different element as far as, you know, the tire manufacturer is going to have to discuss with the FIA and Formula One really what they need. And that's kind of what the problem has been with Pirelli is that they've been kind of handcuffed to whatever the FIA wants and it's constantly changing. Um, like their first year in 2010, 2010, 2011, 2011 was their first year, and they made these tires that, I mean, they could go the entire race distance if they really wanted to, um, but then probably wanted them to degrade faster, and they ended up being like bubblegum, and they would degrade so fast, and now you've got these big, heavy cars, um, and, you know, it, it's constantly changing for probably as far as what the requirement what the requirements are and it makes it really difficult as a tire manufacturer to find that balance between performance and durability um i've i've thought for a while you know it might help if they do like they have to run all three compounds but i think with bridgestone entering the mix i mean i think this is a tire war i don't think it'll happen so, so well, let's let's dig into that a little bit. Like, what happened last time there was a, a tire war, and like, how did it affect? You know, because I've heard that term. I've heard t- people talk about the tire wars, like they're an old yep. mythical, you know, part of Formula One history that I should know about. So, what what happened there? So, Michelin and Bridgestone were in competition from I think it was like two thousand one until two thousand and six. And 
so Bridgestone had these tires. They were supplying Ferrari um, and up until 2005. They were pretty dominant, but it, in between 2004 and 2005, there was a regulation that was put in place that basically screwed Bridgestone over um, and made it so you you know you can't change tires during the course of the race. They have to last the entire race distance, which was completely different from what Bridgestone had been doing, where they've basically just been making these super soft tires that were ultra fast, but they wear out, but it didn't matter because you could run qualifying laps the entire time. Um, and they, it was really just a regulation that was, or a change that was made to hamper Ferrari. Uh, when they were in, in their dominant streak. It was a little bit better in 2006. It was a little bit more even. Both of the tires were fairly on par and kind of just varied uh, track to track. It's it's so important to, you know, with having the right spec and having having the quality that uh, the FIA needs and also that the drivers, you know, feel like has the proper grip and the proper... You know, it, the degradation, like you said, it's all, it's such a moving target and delicate oh, yeah. balance. And, I can only imagine. And not only are you trying to, you know, comply with what the FIA and Formula One bosses want, but you're also listening to the driver's input too. And, you know, they're complaining about a tire or they like the tire or, you know, they could like the tire, but the FIA doesn't like the tire. And it could be vice versa. So it puts Pirelli in a difficult situation. So. I mean, I think that they could definitely extend their contract and keep going because, you know, they've been doing it since 2011, so, you know, they have every right to re-up just like they have been every time this conversation comes up, but I think this is really the first time that there's actually been an actual bid from somebody else to be like, hey, uh, we want to jump in on this, and we want to give it our shot, and that's Bridgestone. I think they have the credibility and they have the ability to back up what they're saying and hopefully give us a good tire. Well, that would be great. And, and it would be, I, I enjoy any time there's a, there's a change in regulation or a change in manufacturer or anytime there's something that shakes things up a little bit, it kind of just adds another level of uh, unpredictability and kind of up in yeah. the air, you know, in, in Bridgestone is... I mean... I think that, you know, it could be a good thing for the sport to have just a change in tire manufacturers, because like I said, Pirelli's been here for, you know, 12 years already, and it'll be 15 years by the time they're done, so it could be a good thing to have a different, uh, a different tire manufacturer just for sake of, like, a breath of fresh air in a sense. Yeah, a new set of eyes on anything where maybe, you know, they've kind of stagnated for a little bit and gotten comfortable. It, um, a new, you know, it's like you're doing a, anything, a puzzle or something, and you can't find it. You need someone else to come help you take a look at it. And if the FIA is looking to get the tires to a certain place that Pirelli can't get them, what does it hurt to ask Bridgestone? Or, you know, if Bridgestone says they can do it, maybe, uh, you know, it doesn't hurt to doesn't hurt to try at least with, with something new and I did see when I was watching some of the you know brief videos about the tire that it did seem like there's something that Pirelli is not quite clicking in and locking in with uh, Formula One 
and uh, Bridgestone does claim they can do it. I think it has to do with the tire deg and, um, you know, their goals, and it's very technical and sciencey, which is not my strong <laughs> point, but just interesting, interesting that it's uh, going, going forward, we might see a little bit of a battle and a little bit of, and I like change, you know, even if it's just a different logo on the side of the tires, you know, it's something that looks different, it's kind of neat, and, um, you know, so, so I guess that brings us to our uh, main topic today, which has really been something I, I've been thinking about a lot, and um, just in passing and during my day and out and about, is is what I think of as the stroll paradox. Uh, yeah, I already see where this is going. Yeah, I've been thinking about it a lot yeah, too. Yeah, it, it's 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 really a tough situation yep. going on at Aston Martin with, and you don't want to. I don't want to say nepotism is. <laughs> going to play a part in what's going to happen there or has but it's hard to look at um lance and his his performance versus his teammate and wonder how long this can go on what do you think i mean it's it's hard to tell because he is went Stroll's son so i mean you have to kind of get through that first um but from a performance standpoint i mean you're seeing what Alonso is doing with this car, and Alonso, I, I know he has this reputation for being able to do so much with a car that's not exactly up to par, but this car seems like it is fairly up to par, um, and they're losing so many points by not having a second driver up basically where Alonso is every race. I mean, if, if Aston Martin was finishing, I don't know, one one or two positions behind where Alonso is every every race. I mean, there's a huge difference in the point total. Um, well, their their direct competition is finishing between their two drivers every, every weekend. weekend, and that that's killer. That that's killer. Mercedes, Ferrari are both. You know, it'll be maybe Alonso three, and then you've got those two. You know, four, five, six, seven, and Stroll's down there eight, nine, ten. Somewhere. And if it, that, it, so because qualifying is definitely not his strong suit. He always is either Q two or Q three for him. Um, but like he's or well, he's low end of Q two or just barely sneaking into Q three. Right, and that's you know, it's not it's it's not good enough for the team's goals. But then you wonder. If you have, if you have the the dad of the driver bought the team, what are the goals for the team? I mean, there's the the drivers' championship, the constructors, but is it just a hobby? Is it just kind of like, you know, and it's not a hobby. It's clearly they're pouring money and effort and, and time and research. I don't want to take anything away from what no, they're doing, but like, how seriously? I mean, would would Lawrence Stroll have the ability or the the wherewithal to? tell his son that he's got to find a seat on another team if he can because they want to win a championship and and clearly you know there's going to be drivers that come around that that look much more appealing than than lance stroll and that will be free agents and available and it's just it, it's tough to see how it goes well to be I, honest I, I, um, I mean i agree with that for sure i mean like you said there's drivers that are going to be hitting the market. You know, you could have Albin swapped into that seat and give him another shot at a top team. Uh, Norris is coming to the end of his contract soon. And, you know, who knows if he stays at McLaren or not. You know, there's a whole bunch of different rows that they can go that aren't with Lance Stroll. And the problem I have with Stroll is that he doesn't always seem like he gives 100% effort. 
Um, and it, it's almost like he knows he has like this comfort because ever since he's gotten into Formula One, it's always been on the back of his dad basically taking a share of the team and buying a seat for him. Not that he doesn't have talent. I mean, he deserves to be in Formula One because he has he has shown that he has that talent. But it's not consistent enough. And it's not on a regular basis. And it always seems like he's just, you know, even on like, the opening laps, you know, he'll gain positions, but it's not because he's making beautiful passes. He's kind of barging his way through. Um, and it's <laughs> in, in fair credit to him. I mean, he's obviously a world-class driver, but if Aston Martin wants to be taken seriously and they really want to step up and be that second team behind Red Bull and really lead the charge to get after them, I don't think Lance Stroll is going to be that driver going forward for them. I think at some point a tough decision is going to have to be made. And, you know, hey... I know, you know, you're my son, but I've invested so much money into this project. You know, I just built an entire new factory and f uh, facility, wind tunnel, everything. You know, I I want to get um, get back what I paid for. Yeah, I want to be competitive all right. the time. And and that's the thing is the competitive. And I think you brought up two really interesting names with with Alex Albon and especially Lando Norris. Um, that I just wonder. So you gave Lando Norris the seat that that they swap they swap teams right now. I just wonder if Lando would be, you know, finishing up higher, and Aston Martin would be, you know, running away with second place in the in the constructors because. You know he's such a he's he's a top end you know in my mind anyway. Of no, I, class. I I think you're right because you see what he's doing in the McLaren. I mean he's you know Piastri's putting out a good show in the McLaren too, by the way. But I mean Norris is still he's still showing that he has plenty of ability and he's kind of being held back by the McLaren. Right, right, and you know, like you said too, Alex Albon. I mean he's he's outperforming every weekend. Absolutely oh, unbelievable job. And, you know, I wonder if he just drink if he sits there at night and, and thinks, you know, I, I'd love to do something in that Aston Martin, yeah. but they're never going to open that seat because, you know, our, my my buddy's dad owns this I, team, you know, I that think, kind of thing. I, th I think Alvin deserves another shot at a top team for sure. I mean, especially after this run of form that he's had the past year and a half or so. I mean, he's doing a fantastic job at Williams this year. And I, 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 know, I know Sergeant is a rookie and there's been talk about Williams wanting to replace him. I know you mentioned that to me a little while ago. Um, and although I don't know how true that's going to be, I mean, Sergeant's a rookie after all, so he still has that learning curve to have, but he's definitely being outperformed by Alvin. Definitely. And so, yeah, I just, once these, once these chairs start to, to shuffle and... You know, and, and it's just, it's fascinating. It's it, What is the goal? Maybe the goal is for, you know, within Aston Martin, maybe the goal is for to put Fernando Alonso in a position to win the Drivers' Championship, and the constructors can, you know, it, it can maybe not be as important because they think they've got a driver and a car that could do it in the next year or two, and, you know, then let, let Lance just have fun driving around 
you know, four yeah. to one. It's it's tough. It's just you don't see that in other in other sports or in other um, situations too often where the where the owner of the ball club also drafts the quarterback or yeah, you know, whatever it is. If you're Lawrence Sterling, you've pumped in so much money into different racing teams so that your son has a seat in Formula One. But now you're in a position where you potentially have, you should have the second best car on the grid, but you're fighting for third place right now because, well, to keep second place and prevent you from going down to third place, because one of your drivers is either on the podium or one step off the podium on every race, except for that one race, I think Alonzo had seventh. But your second driver, even though he's your son, is finishing low end of the points, middle, you know, middle to low end of the points or outside the top ten. He's not getting those points to that's the really, team that he deserves to have. It's tough. It's tough to see. And it's, um, and I feel like, like you said, like, Lance has, he's kind of been falling off as the season's gone on. And I remember he started the year with the, with the fractured or broken wrist and he, it seems like as he's gotten healthier, his, his, uh, performance has trailed off, which is the opposite of what you want to see if someone is. And I'm not saying he's not. I've never met a stroll in my life, either one of them. But if someone's that high end, you know, top end, want to win a world championship one day type of person, you would think as they get healthier, their performance will well, of course. Place, and he's kind of gone the well, other way. I guess it kind of comes back to what I said before: is that it doesn't always seem like he puts in 100 percent effort. Um, and that could just be a byproduct of the situation he's been in since he's been in Formula 1 where his dad kind of provides him with a seat or maybe he's just kind of deep down convinced that maybe Formula 1 isn't what he wants to do for the rest of his life and right. he's not completely sold on being in Formula 1 so if you're not if your heart isn't set on being there you're obviously you're not going to put in your best effort every week. Right. If you've got eyes for endurance racing or just a luxurious life of the son of a billionaire, yeah, maybe it's not, you know, all the effort and the work that a guy like uh, Esteban Ocon has to, has to put yeah. in every week or, oh, you know, these course. guys that are really scratching out a living. And then, yeah, it's tough. It's, um, and who knows? I mean, maybe, maybe Lance turns it around, but uh, you brought up an interesting point and we didn't, we didn't write it down, but there's this idea I hear a lot of, um, like, pay drivers, that people who just kind of pay their way yep. onto a seat. Is there a history of that? Um, or, like, can you think of other people who kind of just... Does it ever cross over where they're great drivers, I guess, too, where a paid driver also ends up being a really good driver? Or is this something that kind of happens from time it, to time? It happens from time to time. I mean, we saw it with Nicholas Latifi. He... You know, he brought a lot of sponsorship money, but he just was not a Formula One talent. I mean, he had so many opportunities, and he just never showed that he could be on the grid. Um, and then we have, you know, if we go way back in time, or back to, like, the 2010s, I don't know why I said way back in time. Um, way, yeah, way, 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 way back there. Back there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we have Pastor Maldonado, who, you know, he was very, very accident-prone. He was always making these silly little, like, mental errors and crashing the car when he's on, a, on like, a cool-down lap. Or he's 
pushes the buttons on the steering wheel and he goes off the track and puts them into the into the uh, into the barriers. But when he was actually like focused, he could put in some great lap times with you know, I mean he was with Williams, um 2011, 2012, and, I mean, in 2012, he won on merit, he won at Barcelona, um, he held off, I think he held off Raikkonen, um, no, not Raikkonen, Alonso, maybe, I don't know, I can't, I think, I do remember it being a Ferrari, I just can't remember which one, I believe it was Fernando, though, um, but, I mean, he got the pole that weekend, and he went on to win the race, it was the last time Williams has won a race, and it was the only race that Maldonado won. But on his best day, Maldonado was actually a pretty quick driver. But he just was never consistent enough, and he was always prone to these silly mistakes, and there's YouTube compilations all over the place of Maldonado. Um, and it's kind of this... I'm I, I feel like it's kind of the same thing with, with Lance, where, you know... I think that if he really decided to dedicate himself, he probably could be a relatively respectable driver, but he's just... It, it seems like he doesn't always want to be there. And you, you can tell when he does like his interviews, it's always very passive and like, oh, I just want to get this over with and you know continue continue with my afternoon kind of thing. Like, he, like you could, couldn't be bothered. He's got something yeah, else to do course. when you're, you're stopping him. Yeah, it's uh, it's a lot, and it'll be interesting, you know, in the future, if anyone's listening to this from the future, to see <laughs> how wrong we are talking about this, and, and you know, three yeah, five, 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 five years down the line, he's won and, three championships in a row, okay, alright, we were wrong, we were wrong. <laughs> we're going to interview him on the podcast that day, and he's going to hear he's going to hear this episode yeah, and hang up on us. And he's going to quote us as, we're, as he's ridiculing us at the same time as a really a really combative interview with Lance Stroll on the F1 podcast <laughs> when, when you guys said this yeah okay <laughs> I'll be like you know what Lance why don't you pick us up on your, your dad's plane and we'll do <laughs> live and in person we'll meet you we'll meet you somewhere but so I guess the last thing we just want to talk about we've talked about these potential roster yep. shake ups and we've talked about people moving What's, what is the timeline for this movement to happen? You, you think it's usually during the summer break is when you might start to see things change in terms of... Yeah, I mean, you start to see the rumor mill starts to swirl around the summer break, especially during the summer break. Um, but like, And then after that as well, up until the end of the year. But everything really starts getting set in motion during that summer break. And so I, I expect that we hear some pretty interesting rumors by the time uh, the break rolls around. But... Yeah, because F- Formula 1 drivers, are their contracts all... Like, do they expire? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Not in the middle of the year, so, but like... But so, they, yeah. No, it, it's okay. Um, I kind of I already knew the question you were going to ask there. Um, but, yeah, like, you have like guys like uh, Valtteri Bottas. Bottas. Wow, I butchered that. Sorry. So sorry, uh, Valtteri. Valtteri Bullpaps. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but you have him when he was at Mercedes and he was doing like one or two year contracts, one year contracts, one year contracts, one year contracts. And it's just like, 
it, it was like this repetitive cycle of one or two year contracts. It, but then you have guys like Hamilton who have multi year contracts, like four or five years contracts, and Leclerc has like a six year contract. Um, you know, it's just it, it depends on the driver. Really, Leclerc is locked up at Ferrari for I, that long. Well, I don't know if it, I don't know if it's that long. I kind of just threw out a number. I think it's. I, I think it'll be for another two or three years. Um, yeah, I mean they they can't let him go. No, I, even if he wants to, they've got to keep well, him around. My part of me thinks like because he seems like he's kind of fed up with Ferrari, and what I'm seeing is in a in a way is how Hamilton felt with. McLaren at the end of like 2011, 2012, um, when he because at the end of 2012 he makes this shock switch to Mercedes, who had not really done much since they returned to the sport, and he was leaving McLaren, who he won a world championship with, he won a race every year since 2007, and you know it just seemed like. Like, that was his team, because they sponsored him throughout his entire junior program, from go-karts to Formula 1. And so it was like, oh man, he's never going to leave there. Because they brought him up, they they basically raised him. But then he switches to Mercedes, and everybody's like, why would you do that? He's a seven-time asterisk on the eight-time world champion. Yeah, I'm going to... But so... He was, so the same thing you think is uh, Leclerc might be getting a little yeah, fed up and I, feeling I like think, uh, I think that Leclerc can be getting a little bit fed up, especially because you know he obviously he shows some raw pace, like world championship level pace, and I think that if you stuck for Verstappen and Leclerc in the same car, I think you'd have one hell of a fight. Um, and but obviously he's probably not going to go to Red Bull, um, but. I could see him being open to a switch to like Aston Martin or Mercedes if those two teams continue this trend of finishing a little bit ahead of Ferrari and Ferrari just hasn't gotten their act together, which, let's be honest, to Farsi, we haven't had our act together since like 2007, 2008. Um, we got lucky 2010, 2012, but that was really it. <laughs> um, so, so you could see like, a, could they do something like a... Is it possible to do, like, George Russell for Charles Leclerc, like, as a swap? Can you do a trade, or is it just their contracts have to expire at this same they, season? Or, like, do you ever see that, like, like driver swap? I, mean, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm sure it's probably been done, but I just haven't seen it, or at least I haven't heard of it. Um, I, I don't I haven't I just, paid enough attention I, to it, I guess. Um yeah, no, I just wonder, because, like, if someone did want out, and, you know, I mean, I don't think George Russell would turn down a chance to drive for a Ferrari, well, you know. here's so. the thing. Ham- Hamilton has always wanted to drive for Ferrari. And depending on how these contract talks go, I mean, that I mean that could be your swap, right? And, you know, he, here, here we go. We're starting, we're starting, we're starting the rumor mill. The rumor mill is going to start with us. Um, <laughs> Hamilton, so, Hamilton to Ferrari? To Ferrari. It makes sense for both sides because then Mercedes gets a little younger and they keep their window open and and Ferrari gets a legend to spend his final couple of years with yeah. them and yeah I mean, I mean this is all conjecture but it does it kind of the pieces do no fall. I I mean I, I, I think that you know 
like we were saying, if Leclerc is as fed up as he is, and he wants out of Ferrari, there's really only going to be like two options of teams that he can go to, as long as Aston Martin keeps their form and Mercedes catches up again. So it's going to be one of those two teams if he doesn't sign with Ferrari again, which, I mean, he could, he might, but there's a very good chance that he doesn't. Yeah, I mean, they have been frustrating the last few years for him, and he, he's not been shy to express that, too, that he, he wants he wants to... He posts a lot of funny memes and stuff about, like, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed, and it's like, that's a little uh, that's a little shot at, shot at your own team oh, yeah. there after breaking down, but it's, uh, you know, I'd love to see something. I'd love to see a major change. That would be huge, wouldn't it be? And isn't it strange how everybody, if your first favorite team is not Ferrari, it's your second? Like, everybody has a spot in their heart oh, for yeah. Ferrari. Why is that? Why Why does everybody have a soft spot? Is it is it the red? I, is it the Ferrari? Well, I think it's, it's, it? it's been said by so many drivers, but there's a lot of, you know, it's about the history of Ferrari and their involvement in the sport from the very beginning. I mean, they've been in... One since the very first Grand Prix back in the fifties. Wow, and uh, they've never left. No, nope, they they've, uh, they've never. Hiatus? They've never left. They're they're wow. the only team that's wow. never left the sport. Um, and so there's like that that draw to it, and you know, then you have the the lore of the Ferrari legends and wanting to drive one of those scarlet red cars. Um, the Tifosi when you go to Monza. You know, there's just there's such a draw yeah. to driving for Ferrari. It's kind of like, um, kind of like playing for like one of those big, one of the big teams in any other sport. Like, for instance, like like baseball. It would be like somebody like yeah. It's it's like it's like somebody playing for like the Brewers, like the Milwaukee Brewers. And you know, you might have some good seasons, but you always have that spot in your heart that's like, man, I want to play for, like, the Red Sox or the Yankees, because they're just such a storied right. franchise, or, or really any other team that's like that, you know, and you can you can cross it into whatever sport you like. Notre Dame. Yeah, exactly. Notre Dame. It, it just, yeah. it has the, the lore and just, like, this nostalgic pull to it. That's very true. I think that's that's very true, and Everybody, everybody, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people who really don't care for Ferrari, but those people have, they've got no sense. They have no sense if you don't like the, uh, the Tifosi. And the fans, yeah. I mean, they, they, the fans are just, it does seem like the best and most interesting. Have you, have you ever watched the, uh, the 2019 Italian Grand Prix where Leclerc wins? Leclerc, so Leclerc wins in 2019. He, he holds off both Mercedes cars. Um... And, like, for the whole race, it was just, like, this incredible battle. Um, and he brings it home to win, and, I mean, the place is just going crazy. And, you know, he, he gets out there onto the podium, and I think the one at Monza is probably the best podium, because the, you know, it's kind of, like, out over the track, almost, and the whole entire track is filled with people and they've got the big Ferrari banners all over the place. There's red smoke flares going off everywhere. And they get to the point where they do the Italian national anthem and everybody was singing it. 
the entire the entire place was singing the Italian national anthem. So it's, there's so much passion with these fans, and oh yeah, shows, oh my God, it's, it, was, about. it was unbelievable. And you know, I'll, I'll send it to you. Um, and just to kind of go on the Ferrari lore, one example more. Um, when Sebastian Vettel switched from Rebel to Ferrari at the end of 2014, going into 2015, Ferrari actually produced a pretty decent car in 2015, and Vettel got his first win for Ferrari at Malaysia that year. And the radio call after he gets his win still gives me chills every time I think about it. And just the passion that's in his voice, and he's just because he always wanted to drive for Ferrari. That was always one of the teams that he wanted to drive for. And you can tell when he wins, when he comes across the line, and he, like the the radio message that gets broadcast, it's just pure passion and emotion, and just it, it gives me chills. And, and I'll, I'll I'll send it to you after we're done here. But I mean, it's oh my god, it's easily one of my favorite. Memories in Formula One. It's pretty, yeah. It does. It gives me the chills, and you know, I don't know Italian, and I don't know the Italian national anthem, but I'd be humming along and swaying with the crowd. It just feels like one of those things where you get swept into, oh, yeah. you know, and everybody becomes tifosi in that moment, or you know, for for Vettel, it's like the culmination of a lifelong yep. journey in a it, way. It, I, can't, I can't remember who, which driver said it, but it was something along the lines of. Kind of like what you said earlier, where everybody has a favorite team, but everybody loves Ferrari. Like, deep down inside, everybody's a Ferrari fan. I think that's really true. I think that's really true, and I'm sure we'll get some people telling us we're absolutely wrong about that. And, <laughs> you know, but um, that's that's part of it. But I, I think, no, I think that's true. I think everybody roots for them to do well, and that's why it's so frustrating oh, yeah. for so many people to watch them go... You know, up and down without the consistency. Oh, really, the Dallas you know. Cowboy fans can relate to us, right? <laughs> oh man, my neighbor, my neighbor is a Dallas Cowboys fan. He's from deep in the heart of Texas, and he's still out there. He's at his grill muttering something about missed field goals. Oh yeah, it's like he, he has to mourn until the first game of the season, and then he's like, he's completely forgot about the heartbreak and the heartache of the last twenty-two years. So it's amazing. But that's part of it. That's why people oh, love yeah. sport, right? That's why we keep doing it. It's the yeah. chase. It's the chase of that. That's what we started with. It's that that feeling of this is our year. This is our race. This is our weekend. This is it. That so, uh, was a brilliant full circle moment right there. I think I couldn't, you know, we couldn't do it any better. And if we keep talking, we're just going to yeah, mess I, it up. I agree. So, I think we have to end there. Uh, I think that's <laughs> it. I want to thank everybody for listening. I, uh, before we get out of here, though, where are we going this weekend on uh, Sunday? Where are we racing? Is it? I think uh, we're in we're in Austria, Austria. So the red yeah. Bull So expect expect the Orange Army to be there in full force. There's going to be Orange Dutch fans all over the place. It's kind of their home race, so expect to see a lot of it. Well. It'll be, uh, you know, it'll be fun to root for their downfall. It might not be this weekend, but it's coming. I promise. We'll it's getting closer. I promise. Hopefully. <laughs> it's getting a little closer. It is. So, um, anything else you want to say to everybody before we get on? Yeah, but just, you know, just as always, thank you guys, everybody, for listening to our podcast and helping us grow and getting us 
involved and out there. Um, we'd love to hear from you more and more. And you know, anything you want to send us, send us. Um, we'll watch it, listen to it, read it. Um, but yeah, just keep up the support, and we'll keep pumping out these podcasts for you. Yeah, I think uh, I think you said it, and I think I couldn't say it any better myself. So uh, yeah, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, you know where we are on social media, Fun Funcast, wherever you look, and at Connor Gagman. And until next time, uh, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you. Thank you, guys.